Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women who prove that the female of the species is deadlier than the male. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the one and only Ariel. Hi. Hello, Ariel. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Are you surviving the coronavirus so far? <laughs> knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. I'm doing okay so no far. No dry coughing? Anything no. Anything of that nature? Nope. I'm really so hoping so that good. our podcast is like helping some people who are responsibly socially distancing right now. And they're just like, I'm so fucking bored. Oh, like, that would be nice. I would love that. Right? Because I know I'm consuming all mm-hmm. of the entertainment right now. Right. <laughs> My life is very vicarious through through TV, podcasts, audiobooks. Yep. <laughs> like I look out at the sun longingly. <laughs> I kind of feel like I, I now understand all the vampire movies where they're like, I just want to see the story right. again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Okay, so um, today we are going to be reviewing a little movie called Tigers Are Not Afraid, which I'm very excited to get into. It is quite a movie. But before we do that, Ariel, can you remind our listeners of our spoiler policy? We're going to spoil everything. Yep. Yep. All of it. (laughs) Yes. And the good news is this is on Shudder. If you are worried about spoilers, it is readily available. And I think if you have to rent it, it's definitely worth a rent. So do not spoil this movie for you if if, if you are a spoiler first kind of person. But if you are not, get ready because we're about to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, okay, you picked this movie. Can you tell me a little bit about like why you decided this one, how you came about deciding this is the movie you want to talk about today? Yeah, so I saw this movie last year when it first came out on Shudder, and I hadn't really heard anything about it. I just took a chance on it and ended up really loving it, so much so that it made it on my personal top 10 list for Mm -hmm. the zombie girls this year. It didn't actually make it onto our combined list because I don't think anybody else had seen it. Yeah. So I ended up giving it an honorable mention spot because I I just think it's such a fantastic movie and people should be talking about it more, so... That's why I wanted to watch it. Also, I knew that you had been putting it off because you were afraid it was going to make you cry. So. Yeah, yeah. So I figured yeah, this definitely. would be a good opportunity. Because I, I remember you were like, I got to warn you, this one's pretty rough. And I was just like, well, <laughs> I'm not going to sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I told, I mean, like I said, I, I this was a forcing. I would ne- probably never have watched this movie. Right. Because, you know, like everyone keeps talking about how it's similar to Devil's Backbone and Pan's mm-hmm. Labyrinth, which it is in some yeah. ways. But those movies are, they are emotionally taxing. You know what I mean? And you have to be willing to sign up for that experience. And sometimes you just like need a little bit of a nudge. Right. And you know, they're all such good movies that it's totally worth it in the end. But sometimes like Nightingale or the Nightingale, that was so good, but it's definitely something that you need to like prepare yourself watch i'm telling you, you right it. now you're if you want me to watch it you're gonna have to pick it because <laughs> like i now no longer have the deadline of um right. of year end like and i do really want to see it but i know i'm when i have that or some sort of like brain candy trash i'm always gonna be like that feels like homework right. <laughs> right i want to have seen it i don't know that i want to see it Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah i feel like at some point i'm gonna pick it but honestly i feel like i need a little more distance before watching it a second time so i fully accept might be a little while <laughs> that's totally fine episode 50 nightingale can't wait right. <laughs> <laughs> okay awesome well i'm glad that you made me tackle this because i'm like i said i'm really really excited to talk about it oh good Before we dig into our actual review, would you mind giving us a little background? Because obviously this is a podcast about 
the contributions that women are making to the genre. And this is directed and written by a woman. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's written and directed by Isa Lopez. Um, she's a Mexican screenwriter and director. And she has had an incredibly successful career. She's written books um, wow. that she's won awards for. <laughs> she's what? Written, I did not know this. Yeah, she's written screenplays for a ton of highly rated Mexican TV shows. She's cool. written scripts for like 11 feature films. What? Um, yeah, and won awards for a lot of them. Um, yes. <laughs> before writing and directing Tigers Are Not Afraid, she wrote and direct Efectos Secundarios. I so apologize for my shitty pronunciation. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> Cassie Davi uh, Divas. So both of those were the highest were among the highest grossing like local movies at the time. Wow. Uh, Cassie Divas opened in first place at the box office and then went on to have a limited theatrical release in the U.S. Um, Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is one of her newer movies, mm -hmm. um, premiered at Fantastic Fest in 2017. And she received the British Horror Director Award. And she's the first woman to have ever gotten it. What? Yes! Yeah. Isa! <laughs> yeah. And so far, uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid has collected, um, I think, 50 awards from different film festivals all over the world. So it's doing really well that way. And it's found a home on Shudder. And it seems like people are liking it there. Um, That's good. Yeah. So Lopez herself has won awards and she's found success, strangely enough, writing and directing comedies and romantic comedies. What? They've all been like really successful in Mexico. Um, and she's been in like high demand for writing these successful scripts. And That's awesome. I watched this like hour long documentary that Guillermo del Toro did with her while he was asking her questions about Tigers Are Not Afraid and her career in general. And she said that. Um, while she's really good at making those movies, they weren't um, fulfilling. And so oh. making Tigers Are Not Afraid is kind of like where her heart lies and what she wants to do more of. Um, Del Toro, in fact, championed this movie, Tigers Are Not Afraid, early on. And now he's set to produce her next film, which oh. apparently is going to be a werewolf western. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm super looking forward to that. This is, I, love, I love a horror western. I know. I'm not even that into westerns. But something about a horror western yeah, and the I'm aesthetic like, of it is so yes, good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Why is that? I don't know. I think there's something about the sort of quiet grittiness of a western that lends itself well to horror, maybe. <laughs> um, so then the other cool thing is she's got other movies in the works, too. So Legendary Pictures has just signed her to direct an untitled supernatural revenge thriller. Oh, yes. And Searchlight Pictures has signed her to write and direct a film based on the Matthew Baker short story Lost Souls. Um, which I read some of the like synopsis of the book and it sounds pretty cool. What is it about? Um, it sounds like it's about like people who are born without souls. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, Hell yes. The Lopez Assance. I want it. Bring yeah. it to me. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what she does next with all of these things. As for production for Tigers Are Not Afraid, in this interview with Guillermo del Toro, she said that she wrote the script for Tigers Are Not Afraid while she was working on other projects to pay the bills, the comedies, the romantic comedies. And so she would force herself to write a scene in the movie every morning before she got out of bed until she finally finished it three months later, the first draft anyways. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. So she sounds like super dedicated too. Yeah. And, uh, so, and then she told this story about how she took her script to a production company that she had been working with who had been um, greenlighting her other movies. 
And uh, she gave them the script and they turned her down because they wanted her to write more romantic comedies because they were doing so well. Mm. And she told them that if they didn't accept her script and allow her to film it, that she would take it to another studio. And if they greenlit it, she was going to give them all of her future romantic comedy scripts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, queen. So then the first production company was like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. (laughs) Go make your movie. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I, the more I read about her, the more I'm completely obsessed. Yeah, and she's such a well-spoken woman, too. Like, she sounds just really thoughtful and really smart. Um, and she said that it cost around $1.3 million to produce, and they took 36 days to film. So not too long. Yeah. That's amazing. That's she, I'm so – I'm sorry. I'm so impressed with her just mm-hmm. like, oh, Excuse me, too. me, I believe I have all of the leverage here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know that's such a baller move to just yes. like lay it out like that. Yeah, the one thing I read about, I, I did not do the extensive research mm-hmm. that you did. I'm, um, I read a couple of things. And one thing is that this is like unintentionally autobiographical mm-hmm. and that she was an orphaned child. Not yeah. necessarily in the same situation, but a lot of the story of being a child and the mix of grief and also hope, that mixture is very apparent in this movie yep. um, that was semi-autobiographical. And that the other thing was, is that she took this movie to festival after festival after festival mm-hmm. and was just denied, 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 denied to the point where she was like beginning to doubt not only the movie itself, but like her own talent. And then she decided to give it to Fan Fantastic Fest and it got picked up and it started winning awards and all of the you know, top tier horror voices like Stephen, it was like Stephen King, Neil Gaiman, and I want to say maybe Clive, no, Del Toro. Yeah. Um, yeah. All three all of them are in love with it. Her experience was that once she entered horror filmmaker world, the vibe there was so welcoming and embraced her. And it was just like totally different than sort of like so cool. the up its own butt drama mm-hmm industry that is like so cutthroat and nasty like there is kind of a bit of a subculture around it like a little bit of an outsider vibe to it and so yeah. that she discovered that and was embraced by that was really cool I thought yeah it's also she's just so impressive and the fact that she's getting to make all of these other genre yes. movies is really exciting I mean because you always hear this kind of story right like mm-hmm. where you'll have some sort of up-and-coming filmmaker who makes a movie that, like, has a big impact, and then they get all of these other movies as opposed to it. Like, but when you think about it, it's people like James Wan or Guillermo del Toro himself or Eli Roth. Yeah. But you never really hear about this happening to women. And uh, that's not to say that, like, I know Jennifer Kent has talked about after she did The Babadook, like, she did get a lot of opportunities um, that she passed on to do The Nightingale because that was the story she wanted to tell next. But it just, it is a common story in filmmaking. It's Mm -hmm. just very rarely ever about a woman. So that's really very cool that that, that she is getting to be that it director. Mm -hmm. And having seen this movie, like, I I get why. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's so much good stuff in it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. So I have the synopsis. Yeah, We're ready to hear what this movie is about now that we've talked (laughs) all around it. Okay, cool. All right. I have not done one of these in so long. (laughs) I always am able to pawn these off on everybody else. So bear with me, folks. Uh, The movie focuses on a group of orphan children trying to survive in a Mexican city has become a deserted war zone because of the local drug cartel, the Huescas? I think so. 
Okay, we're going to go with it. Uh, the movie opens with two scenes playing out. One of them is Estrella, who is a girl who is in school, who is writing fairy tales. And when there's like gunfire that breaks out and she has to lay on the ground. And while she's there, her teacher kind of crawls over to her and gives her three pieces of chalk and tells her that they are witches. I think in an effort to kind of comfort and console her. Um, at the same time, we meet Shine, Shiny, who is an orphan boy who is, you know, living on the streets. And he, when we see him, he is following this drunk dr- uh, cartel crime boss named Kako. Um, and he's like distracted peeing on a wall. And while he's doing that, uh, Shiny is able to steal his phone and his gun. Which is very fancy. That is yes. a very fancy <laughs> gun. Um, so when Estrella gets home, her mother isn't there. And when she event- doesn't come back, she eventually, because she's hungry, leaves the apartment and ends up meeting up with Shiny and his gang of kids, uh, who are all also orphans. And um, they decide there's some like back and forth about whether or not to let a girl in the group. Always. <laughs> Jesus. They eventually let her join when she promises to kill the cartel guy. And their situation, as if it wasn't challenging enough, they basically have to stick together because they realize that they're being hunted by the gang uh, who want their phone back, which has some incriminating evidence on it. And with the cartel hunting them, the only hope they have of surviving is, like, sticking together and also with the help, uh, potentially, of Estrella's three wishes. The first of which brought back the ghost of her mother who wants revenge on the cartel that killed all of these children's parents. Good. Was that all right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's kind of like, I mean, it's simple, but it's also like, there's a lot of little details that you're like. Yeah, it's a winding plot. I think it would be hard to synopsize, but that was good. Okay, good. Like I said, I'm a little rusty. (laughs) A little rusty. (laughs) Hopefully I'll get better as the podcast episodes go on. Okay, so this movie is pretty amazing to look at, in my opinion, but I wanted to just sort of start with like, what did you think about the setting and the direction of this movie? Well, I mean, one of the reasons I love this so much is because it's so kind of hauntingly beautiful and it's got this vibe of like everything being gritty and Mm -hmm. there's this sort of desperation over Mm -hmm. everything that you really feel deeply when you watch it. Um, There's not a ton of dialogue in this movie, but I feel like it gets like it gets to you emotionally really quickly. Like I was invested super early in this movie into these kids stories. Um, And and as much as it's not like like a naturally beautiful setting, I think the movie comes across as pretty visually beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the setting to me, I mean, it's in a city, it's an urban setting, but it's like almost dystopian, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. it's like this ghost town. It's like this war, like this war zone, essentially, right? But not like an active war zone. It's like, there's just like little skirmishes still going on. And it, it because this is sort of an urban fairy tale, it's basically the urban equivalent of children being lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, so there's a sense of isolation, which is strange because they're like, like I said, it's an urban setting. But you do feel like they are very, like the world is kind of desolate and empty and lonely. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's like kind of the perfect setting for an urban fairy 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 tale yeah and i think they set it up well so that you understand that there are like no adults out there that are going to be able to help these kids in any kind of way even when they go to the cops later in the movie (sighs) they get nothing from it it's just them it's these little ass kids who are like what maybe four to 12 or something 
Mm-hmm. or 11 i don't know um i don't know like i said before i don't know ages like there's like <laughs> little medium and, and and tall like it's like a starbucks ordering coffee situation like grande <laughs> venti like, like the other gang was venti you know everything else is like grande tall and, and an espresso shot <laughs> uh, um i also loved that throughout the movie there's so much sort of darkness and pain. Um, but there are also these little moments of childlike joy throughout mm-hmm. it too. There's um, the moment when it's like when they're telling the story sort of in their little, you know, um, enclave that they've made where the one little kid Moro is huddled inside of a old TV cabinet that has been like hollowed out and it has like lights in it and stuff. And uh-huh. like, they're so cute and he's holding this, you know, stuffed tiger and they're telling this story and there's such like whimsy to that. Um, even though it feels it's like so, a tree house. Yeah, exactly. Even though it's so mm-hmm. dark that these kids are having to survive on the streets by themselves or when they finally get to the mansion later in the movie um, and they're playing, you know, with the balls and drawing on them and, uh, pretending to, you know, uh, rap and stuff on stage. Like there's so many moments like that that are um, joyful and, and we really see them as kids, you know. And you also see where they are through children's eyes. Yeah. So like when we, if we were to go into that place, it would just look like a deserted, you would see like the tragedy of the deserted. Right. Like there's like gun holes places or bullet holes places. Like you would just see the desolation, but instead they find the pond of little fish. They find mm-hmm. a stage to play on. They turn it into a giant playhouse. And that that's kind of the heart of this movie to me yeah. is like as a, through adult eyes, all we see is devastation. And through the children's eyes, there is some hope. Even in all the vulnerability, there's still some like hope and joy to be found. There's a purity to these children that are trapped like in of no fault of their own i mean obviously he shouldn't have taken the phone but like right. <laughs> the world they didn't create the conditions of the world that they're living in um but yeah i don't know the the setting of this i think is actually like an inc- is incredible for that and um also the gra- i really love all of the gr- use of graffiti in this yeah movie. yeah like, it was really cool i love the design of the tiger that he's mm-hmm. always drawing everywhere that is sort of like the mascot for them really really visually cool but i also like the way that graffiti is used to um i mean it it, it's like a visual reference that is like the only evidence of these forgotten people you know like it's like almost like modern cave painting you know what i mean it's like yeah no that's a good way to put it we are here we exist we matter like even in a world that everything else in this world is telling them that they don't exist and that they don't matter at best they're just like things that are being used in rituals you know what i mean like like all that kind of like that gets into like very um hansel and gretel like Mm -hmm. the eating of the children which is such a great fairy it's it's used in a way like it's taking a real world reference like because that is a thing that there is like satanic cartels that are do using witchcraft and stuff. Right. You know this? Yeah. So like they're using this real world reference. And that's the, the, the thing this movie does really well is it grabs these real world references and twists them and puts them in a fairy tale context because you're seeing them through the eyes of a child. Yeah. 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 And, you know, in this interview, she was saying the director um, was saying that they filmed everything really low to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so intentionally no higher than like the tallest kid in order yeah. to give you that real perspective on the world coming through their eyes. 
You're right. Which, That's a really good point. I had not thought about it, but you're right. All of the perspective is child height. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. It's a, it's an interesting way to do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Because like literally your worldview becomes the worldview of a child. Right. In addition to just like, they are our avatars and like we are on their arc, right? Right. Like, we're only seeing what they're seeing and from a visual perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I really love that. That's so interesting. What yeah. a cool idea. See, it's these little touches that, like, even though you maybe don't notice it, like, it creates, like, an atmosphere that makes this movie work. Yeah. And there are so many cool things in this movie about, like, the way Estrella sees the world and the way that either these wishes or some other, you know, things are happening, causing her to um, see the dragon that flies off the phone case, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of show her things or um, the blood trail. That follows her the around. The blood trail is great. The blood trail is really cool. Um, uh, or, or even we'll get to this at the end, but the her mother's bracelet coming to life. And mm-hmm. there's just the tiger coming to life. The, the tiger. I moving. wanted so much more I, of that tiger. I know. It was so amazing. I know. It's so great. Yeah. yeah. The blood trail is so great too because visually it's really cool, but like just the metaphor of like the way that blood like the like you can walk away from the scene of violence, but mm-hmm. like violence has a way of following you. And like yeah. it haunts you, it follows mm-hmm. you wherever you go, like even if you turn your back to it, like there the trauma that and of it will follow you, especially in this world, you know, where yeah. this fairy tale world that is real world. I don't know about you, but watching this was t- not necessarily just because there's sad things that happen to it but like all i could think when i was looking at those kids was children in cages Mm -hmm. which was actually way harder than the movie itself was the real world stuff but if that's isa lopez's intention to like tell you to show you like the conditions that people are living in and and inspire change like she nailed it yeah this movie like I don't want it. I'm afraid to talk about the sad things because I don't want to turn people off from watching it like we discussed. But like it's an effective movie. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's really effective. And now that I've seen it two times, the first time I felt shaken by it, Mm -hmm. I think is a good way to put it. Um, Because it really did have a big emotional impact. Um, The second time watching it, though, I still felt all of that stuff, but I think I was able to see a little more of the joy and the beauty in it. And I think Mm. that's one thing that this movie does so well is kind of switching back and forth and interweaving this happy and light stuff with all of the real, real life terror that's going on around them and awful things that are happening to them. I mean, this, the movie doesn't pull punches. Two kids die in this movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The first one I wasn't surprised by. The second one, I was shocked. Yeah. In that moment, it definitely was like I. It brought me back to Devil's Backbone. Yeah, Do you remember that movie? Like the, mm-hmm. I always think about the breaking the kid that breaks his ankle. Ooh, yes, yes, right. Yes. And I was just like, oh god damn! I can see why Del Toro was like, yeah, I like this movie. Yeah, I mean, I can see why he's so passionate about it because the mixing of horror and like real emotion with fairy tale is so his thing you know right and i i I think that this movie isn't i don't think this movie is derivative like i don't want people to think that she just somehow copied what del toro does because i feel like it has a its own voice and its own message and is and really uses the fairy tale stuff in a different way than he has ever used it before 
Uh -huh. um, so I think it, it's, there's a lot of originality there. So I don't want people to get that idea, but um, it makes sense that he would like it <laughs> and that, and that Stephen King would like it too. Like I can understand why, cause it's, it's so good and it's so, it's so affecting. Um, but yeah, when Morrow died, I think that because he's the littlest one, Ugh. And you that kind of see that coming on his face. I know. Oh, like, baby. It's awful. It's yeah. Awful. And he's like the happiest little guy too. Even even through all of this and, you know, in trying to take care of Astraea and welcome her into the, their little group and stuff mm -hmm. in the beginning. Um, but then when, uh, shiny, uh, when he gets shot in the end. Yeah. I was like, the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, you get so close to the end of the movie and all the rest of the kids are still alive. You kind of think, okay, you know, we're through that. But then, bam. Yeah, it's a total gut bunch. Yeah. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. fact that she said earlier that, Estrella said earlier that she was worried about, you know, making any more wishes because something bad always happens. And his wish is to have the burn scar on his face gone and she makes that wish and nothing happens. And he thinks, you know, he's disappointed and kind of frustrated with her. And then he gets his wish, but like in the most tragic way possible. Yeah. <laughs> she like paints a damn target on his face. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like, exactly. Oh my God. And that scar is oh gone, but God. it's been replaced by a bullet hole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is definitely intense. Can we talk a little bit about the performances in this movie? Yes, please wow yeah. holy shit isa lopez knows how to draw a performance out of someone out of kids kids yeah. so kids <laughs> to a kid are amazing in this they're all fantastic apparently they saw something like two thousand kids oh, um or something like okay. that <laughs> but uh paid off right they're all the kids that they picked are all none of them are actors none of them have ever acted before really yes that might be what it's so naturalistic. The performance yeah. is never once do you get like I'm a kid actor performance, right? Woo! Right. Like and nobody what... has been to theater, kids. <laughs> right. And that's what she said. She said one of the things that they kept running into was that they were getting trying to get kids who hadn't been actors before, but a lot of them, even who hadn't acted professionally, still had this air of thinking that all acting was telenovela acting. Oh, um, oh God, yeah. I would imagine I mean, as a huge cultural touchstone. Yes, and that is that is could not be further from what. Right, we're that's a very specific type of acting, and not what she was looking for. So they kept kind of searching to find kids who who didn't go there with their acting, and then they had they did like a a camp kind of thing for them and got them all together and interacting because she wanted to have them acting like a group, like a little family. And she said that what was interesting is that when they did that, it kind of played out in a similar way to her script and that there was this, we're the boys and we don't want the girl here. Right. Happening. Um, but it allowed them to kind of play off each other and find the like real truth to it. And um, she said that with, what was it? Um, the kid who plays Shine, he actually is an orphan himself oh um she said it, it you know he wasn't orphaned in the same way that the kids were in this movie but that that sort of that pain and and loss um he was able to draw from and it helped her connect with like her own experience of losing her mother and she thinks it made the movie you know that much more powerful that is so interesting because like yeah. i in my notes here like one of the things i wanted to talk about was I like all the kids are amazing, but to me the breakout is shiny. Yep. Um, and it's 
two scenes in particular. I mean, he's great throughout, but the mm-hmm. two scenes in particular that I was just like, damn, were the scenes where um, he believes that Estrella has killed the, yeah. the crime boss, and you can see the shock, but mm-hmm. also, like, the self like the disappointment that he wasn't the one to do it and the anger yeah. at himself and like but that how he's um projecting that anger onto her like you can see all those mm-hmm. levels how the hell did this kid do that it's i know incredible i know it's amazing because yeah you literally feel all of that even though he doesn't say a word it's about you know he doesn't explain that to anybody it's just that you know that's what's going on in his head because his acting is just so remarkable Right. It's incredible. That and the scene where he discovers that she didn't. Yeah. Those two moments where you can see all this stuff conflicting and like the grief of mm-hmm. losing Moro, the, the, you know, like everything that's happening, like the, the betrayal, the yeah. sense of betrayal of being lied to, um, every single, like the, just the scale of emotion that you see happening on his face, like is, some like next level performance. So that's really interesting that he has like real life experience that he's drawing from because yeah. shit, that kid is incredible. Yeah. He's really, really remarkable. And, and even just in the smaller scenes, like his anger and his irritation mm-hmm. with people, like you really feel that. And and immediately you recognize him as being the like de facto leader of this group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids are the performances across the board are just really, really stellar. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I had heard that like in reviews, but I, I don't know that you really understand exactly how good they are until you actually see it. It's like, yeah, really and amazing. Getting those kind of performances out of such little kids has got to be difficult, you know? Right. Um, I mean, and shit, the fact that like, it's so successful is amazing. How many movies is like? I mean, yeah. TV and movies like the kid is typically the worst once in a while you'll see a really good kid you're like dang wow that's amazing because (laughs) it's an expectation because most times kids are not that great yeah Um, or they're like okay but they're they don't make the movie you know right or they are are really good at stylistic acting Mm, like if you think about the first it movie like those kids like they do feel like kids but not in the same way that these kids feel like kids those feel like well-written kids these feel like actual this feels like a oh like a a wartime documentary or something like, yeah it's much more like grounded in reality children in the rubble and palestine's playing you know playing soccer yes. like that's what this movie feels like um and that's what these kids performances feel like yeah as opposed to like fun quirky kids that are like yeah you're like ah oh, that feels like a kid sure yeah <laughs> but like it, they feel like a kid in a novel as opposed to like a kid in a documentary is i guess maybe the way to describe it yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. They just feel so real here. Yeah. That it's almost hard to believe that they aren't those kids. Oh, God. Yeah. it's Which is why it hurts so much when they die, because it doesn't feel like a character dying. I know. It's like a kid dying. I know. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough stuff, man. Ugh. So, um, I also kind of want to talk about the tiger motif, mm-hmm. which I thought was such a good choice, because, like, it's like... I mean, tigers of themselves are just kind of like magical creatures. Like when we went and got to see them, we got to feed them at the at the Monterey Zoo. Like they're oh. they're massive and beautiful. <laughs> they're <giant. laughs> 
What what's that? They're so giant. Like I'd never been that close to one before, and you get up right? close to them, and they're so impressive. They're and huge. way bigger than you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the the theme of that weekend. Between right. that and feeding the elephant, I was yeah. like, I know elephants are big, but when an elephant. <laughs> You see an elephant see you and decide it wants to walk over to you. It is very intimidating. I was very excited, but also very scared. Right. <laughs> and it was kind of the same thing. Like when you saw the, the how big the tigers are up close, like you know they're big, but they're really big, dude. Like, yeah, they're huge. And like the handler who told us that she has to be careful not to let them lick her because they like her. They want to lick her. But in she said in three licks, they'll get down to the bone. Like that, that's how rough their tongues are. I was just blown Truly away a by dream that. died that day. I just want yeah. to say, I want to reiterate <laughs> that like a dream died oh, that day because I know. all I want is for a tiger to lick me. But I also <laughs> would like to keep my skin. So and all mis- and and my under meat, you know, like <laughs> your under meat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but but yeah, so they're just like these magical creatures just in general. They just happen to actually exist. So like that in and of itself is a great choice, but then to put one in an urban setting and yeah. it, it takes it to this next level of being like a mystical creature, right? Like it's this quiet, powerful, dangerous, like out of place, magical creature is such a great choice for a like a fairy tale, right? And yeah. also tigers appear in fairy tales. Yep. So it just really feels like a natural choice. Yeah, um, it makes sense. And this whole time it's kind of, leading them right like leading Estrella through this world and closer to you know finding out what happened to her mom and and you know dealing with this phone and everything but then at the end it's like she's finally kind of conquered everything and then it's almost like welcomed by this proud uh, tiger you know yes and like yeah like you kind of feel like that's shiny right like he was the prince who doesn't know he's a prince Mm -hmm. and she's she becomes in the end he becomes the tiger and she becomes the warrior yeah um and they like together they're able to take down the monster that's stalking their you know their urban jungle right um it's such a great satisfying arc like it really is it's a beautiful ending i mean the other thing that's a we i i forgot to even put in my notes is how genuinely creepy the ghosts are in this yes <laughs> like the finger out of the like top ramen cup i was like ah i know oh, oh god, god that was great or like yeah her listening to that top ramen cup and the finger going oh that's a that's a great scene yeah and and the scene at the end where she goes into that room just like yeah. filled with wrapped up dead bodies i mean it's so disturbing to think of a kid a little kid in that situation and then having her mother like realizing her body's there and her mother coming to life it's just mm-hmm. yeah i can see why i mean like this movie this movie is horror but it also it's it's this perfect marriage of real world horror and yeah. fantastical horror mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah I, I loved i yeah that good good spooky ghosts um who yes. are spooky <laughs> remain spooky throughout like when the hands are coming through the grates and stuff like they yeah. are genuinely frightening yeah they're super um, creepy but then they like there's just this emotional journey that this movie takes you on mm-hmm. yeah yeah 
All right. Well, what is there anything else you want to talk about with the movie before? Um, oh, just one more thing about the tigers in this interview. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She Definitely. was, uh, Issa Lopez was saying that the original script didn't actually have a tiger in it at all. Mm. Um, that that motif was added at the end. She originally had a scene with Shine looking at a zebra across the street from him. Oh. Um, but they couldn't get a hold of a zebra. And <laughs> then she got off. Zebras a... are cool. I don't think it makes as much sense, though, but... personally. Um, but I, I mean, I obviously I'm not, I don't know exactly what she had planned there, but, um, then she got offered a hippo and, <laughs> and I was like, hippos uh, are scary. No. that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they finally, the handlers Especially were like, okay, course. we have, <laughs> we have a tiger. And then she started thinking about how much more sense that made and ended up incorporating it throughout because she decided if we had a tiger at the end, it only made sense to have it in the beginning of the movie too and then oh. liked it so much that kept she kept like weaving it throughout the movie so i think that's really i mean i think that's so impressive that you would write this entire script and then change so much of it in such a moving and profound way towards the end because you get this new idea that's so cool wow that would be such a oh i'm so glad that that didn't happen because like i love the design of the tiger movie. yeah i'm obsessed with it like i want to get some fabric made of it so i can make a oh dress. that would be so cool yeah i love it i like the the tiger on the skateboard mm-hmm. I just everywhere like i like the all the little tigers he put on the soccer ball like i just love the design of that tiger yeah oh i'm so glad that 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 i mean zebras are cool don't get me wrong <laughs> I, I get down with a zebra but like i i just i feel like the tiger is such an elegant choice mm-hmm. you know like uh, yeah awesome <clears throat> sorry um i'm not i swallowed my own spit there um <laughs> not corona just saliva. Right. <laughs> so okay overall what did you think of the movie oh i absolutely love this movie i i just think it's um it's so moving it's so interesting it's set in a world that i don't know a ton about mm-hmm. um or at least not on this sort of ground level experience um, there's also so much beauty to it, and mm-hmm. it's so lovingly made. Like, you really feel that as you're watching it. I would recommend this movie to everybody. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think it's excellent. I loved this movie on just – it's a total hidden gem. I loved it on every level. I think um, it is a mistake to let the subtitles, the fact that it's about kids, yeah. that it's a bit sad, put you off. Like, it is so good. And, like, it is not homework. It is, the thing is, on, on in addition to it's beautiful, it's well-made, it has wonderful themes, mm-hmm. it's gonna, it has, like, an important message, all those things are true, but it does not feel like homework. It no. is very consumable. It's very entertaining. So that you, like, you know, sometimes you can think a movie is good, but you're not having a good time watching it. <laughs> that is not yes. the case with this. Like, this is a great ghost story. This is a great, like you know the story of friendship it is it, it's excellent on just about every level we i have no criticism for this movie None. yeah no zero i have like I. i'm trying the only thing i wanted more of the like animated tiger like that's yeah. that's <laughs> like, more it. Of that. like my my criticism is that it didn't give me enough of the stuff that i love <laughs> like you know what i mean like that's it this movie is like i can't even imagine how irritating it was that none of us watched this last year yeah, just because I thought it was so good. And I figured, I, I think most of 
I think almost everybody would really like it. Um, you just need to be bossier. Like, yeah, I'm always like, have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet? Like, you need to watch it. it. <laughs> um, no, but I'm so glad that we had this opportunity because it yeah. really deserves uh, attention and mm-hmm. the director deserves attention. So yes, I'm just, I am so excited to see what more she does because I yeah. just, I love this movie so much and you're right about it not being homework. Like the first time I watched it, I loved it and I was moved by it and I wanted other people to see it and I'm mm-hmm. watching it just, you know, maybe four months later or something, five months later and I still really enjoyed it. Like it, it yeah. wasn't work to have to watch it a second time right. through so close together. It was mm-hmm. still a lot of fun, you know, because there are fun moments in this movie where you're just watching this like group of kids do stuff together. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. People watch it. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's real good. Um, hopefully, like with her getting all these other additional projects, like some of them will have some like mainstream breakthrough and people will get curious and start. Yeah. Back. Go back and watch this one. That would be great. It's a treat. You're, yeah. you're in for a treat. All right. Anything else before we wrap up? I think that's about it. All right. Cool. So for those of you at home who have watched this for the first time and have some thoughts you want to share or there's something you would like to want us to watch uh, and review, something maybe we missed, whatever the case may be, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com. You can also hit us up on the Zombie Girls Facebook page. We are on there. It's me, all of us, plus some new Russian bots. So (laughs) (laughs) we'd love to hear from some real people instead of, uh, you know, Vlad. So (laughs) hit us up. Um, And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for something to watch tonight, we have a calendar on the Zombie Girls website. Go to zombiegirls.com. You can see everything that is out now on uh, in the horror and horror adjacent genres on VODs and various streaming services um, currently and also stuff that's coming up. So like, if you are like, mm, when is that Vast is the Night coming out? You can go on there and find out. Or maybe you're like, what? I want to watch something tonight, but is there any good horror that's actually available on streaming? Don't worry, boo. We got you. Head over <laughs> to the Zombie Girls website and check out our VOD calendar. Okay. So that's all for all housekeeping. All we have to do now is pick what we're going to watch. Yes, I'm dying episode. to know what it is. Well, I, this, like I said at the beginning, is a blind pick. I have no, I think it's supposed to be good, but I don't know. So, because <laughs> I have not seen it yet. Um, okay. But the, the, uh, description sounds really interesting, and it is available to stream on Hulu, so it should be fairly easy to get your hands on. Um, it is a movie called Knives and Skin. Have you heard that? Heard of this? Um, the name sounds vaguely familiar. Like maybe I read about it somewhere at some point, but I have never seen it. There was a movie that had a similar name that was on Shutter that Matilda was like, I don't know if it's for everyone. Oh, that's probably what I'm thinking about. It's then. like yeah. Hearts, Knives, yes. and Knives and yeah, Hearts, or that's something what like it that. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this is not like some weird French like (laughs) gay porn giallo, (laughs) which sounds awesome. Don't get me wrong, but this is not that. Okay, Uh, okay, so this is directed by Jennifer Reeder, who is a director I am not familiar with yet, but I'm excited to learn more about before the next episode because I will have to do all the research. Mm -hmm. And you have now set a very high bar, so I got to like step up my research game. Um, Okay, so here's the description from IMDb, um, which made me go like, oh. I think this is for us. Okay. A mystical teen noir that Mm. follows a young girl's disappearance in in the rural Midwest and its effect on teens and parents. That does sound really good. Right? Yeah. It had me at mystical teen noir. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So, yeah. 
So yeah, so for those of you at home that are playing along, and we hope you are, check out Knives and Skin, directed by Jennifer Reeder on the Hulus and other various video-on-demand sites. Because you can rent it from a ton of other places for like three bucks. So... And hopefully it's worth three bucks. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out next time. We'll All let right. you know next time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Would you mind taking us out, Ariel? Yeah. So thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the second episode of the More Deadly Podcast. Uh, two, like two, Rachel two. said, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and uh, review us on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>